It's that time of week, the time you've been waiting for. It's time for Goat Gab, a weekly podcast about all things in the dairy goat industry. Sit back and enjoy an hour or so with your hosts, Laura Warren Hughes and Cameron Jedlowski, as we talk about ideas and topics that matter to the dairy goat world. Goat Gabbers, welcome to another exciting episode of Goat Gab. As always, I'm one of your co-hosts, Laura Warren-Hughes, and also, as always, I'm joined by my amazing, fantastic, but tired co-host, Cameron Jedlowski. Hey, Cameron. Laura, you got a lot of energy. I do, because I haven't been up all night long waiting for baby goats to be born. Yeah, Laura, it's been a long, long, long um, 24, 36, 48 hours, to say the least. That comes with the territory this time of year, doesn't it? It does. And when you're like, okay, I'm going to induce these goats, everything's going to be good, hunky-dory. And we all know that induction is a window of, you know, 32 to 54 hours. And we talk about that on this podcast a lot. Um. But when when your goats are kidding out at uh, 12, 30, 2 o'clock, and then 4 o'clock in the morning, it makes for a very long night. Well, it does. And especially if if your weather there, and I know it has been, has been as bitter cold as it is in Missouri right now. What the heck is with March being bitter cold? It's supposed to be nice. Um, you sure don't want to miss that, that kidding because... Frankly, I mean, we breed alpines for alpines, togs, and sables for a reason, not to be earless, right? Correct. And we've actually, you know, we did a lot of more periodic checks. And I think a lot of them actually have, you know, tucked their babies away because it's been so cold. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I had one doe that was due yesterday was her due date. And for our listeners that have listened for a while, this is the doe that I tried three times last year to induce a kid. And she never, never kitted off of the induction. So this year I'm just like, I'm just going to hope that she'll go maybe on Sunday afternoon or Monday morning instead of Saturday when she was due. We don't have kids yet and I didn't induce her, but I was scared to death that she would go when it was 14 degrees outside and I'd lose the kids or whatever. So um, Sometimes it's sometimes it's nice to not induce, but again, you know, I'm I'm back to the check in every few hours. Has she done anything yet? Is she doing anything now? You know, kind of a thing. So, but yeah, induction that window of induction gets long sometimes, and you're thinking, what the heck? Yeah, I will tell you for the listeners out there as well that science is weird. Science <laughs> is very weird, and sometimes science likes to give you a big old middle finger as well. <laughs> Well, and you know, it's, it's funny because I, I think it's easy to get spoiled when you have a bunch of inductions that do make that, I don't know, 32 to 36 hour window in there. That's just like, ah, this is great. You know, this is easy street. But um, again, working as an OB nurse, I know that, that inductions don't always go as planned and, and uh, sometimes you just don't know why it's not working, but it sure as heck isn't. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I hope you can get a nap in there before you hit the week running. Me too. Me, me too as well there. Um, we, I just did my quick kid count here. We've got 30 kids on the grant. We've had 30 kids born. And those are the kids that have been alive, not the ones that have died or the little preemies as well there. So We've had 30 kids born um, on our farm. Wow, this, it doesn't even feel like that much, but it, it really has been. Wow, that's exciting. And what's your buck-to-doe ratio? Um, I, I, I've i been too tired to calculate that, which I probably should. Um, hold on, let me, let, me do my, let me run my spreadsheet real quick here. <laughs> Live look of Cameron working on a spreadsheet on the podcast. Why don't I calc this real quick and I will let you know. All right. Well, our count counting the two that were born in December, we have had 14 kids born. And of those, we've had six doe kids and eight buck kids. Gotcha. Yeah. We are looking at, um, my numbers aren't adding up correctly, 14 does and 16 bucks. 
Yeah. Have you talked to anybody that has had more of a doe year this year? Because no, most no. people I've heard it's a buck year. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. I will tell you this last weekend really probably pushed that over the edge as we had one doe born and we had four bucks born on that. So that really just like, I mean, it was a nice one for one ratio basically until that this weekend when all of our first fresheners who got bred to a pretty special buck um, all had buck kids. Ah, oh, that is so frustrating. Yeah, it is. It, it really is on that. But um, it, it comes with the territory. And, um, I mean, they will, you know, I think there's four of them born. So they will net us a nice little $40. They'll be able to buy a couple bags of feed. Yeah. And, you know, again, it does make it a little easier to make those numbers a little smaller. I know we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But, yeah. Um, you guys, so you guys also have been fighting the cold up there. Yeah, bitterly cold, super bitterly cold this weekend, unordinary. And that's caused some other issues too, I will say. Um, you know, we've had, it, it's been weird. Like we, ever since we cleaned out these goat pens, which has been great and, and and such, but we've been, you know, fighting clostridium really, really bad. Not just in our, our kids, um, but mostly in our, our mature does. It's been weird. Oh gosh, that's hard. It is, and everybody's been vaccinated with CD&T, and, um, you know, it just comes and goes and comes and goes, and it's really aggressive, and sometimes it's not really aggressive, and it's like, okay, like, what do, like, Catherine and I, and obviously with her being a, a veterinarian, it's like, okay, like, what are we doing wrong? Because I don't feel like we're doing anything wrong, but what are we doing wrong? And that just kind of takes the heart out of, frankly, takes the heart out of you being a goat raiser. It's just like, you know, what am I going to walk out to now? It's horrible. I'm so sorry. It's, you know, all right. It's okay. I mean, we're going to get through it. And that's, uh, you know, I think there's a, a viral Facebook post that says farm work doesn't make you tough or strong or anything. It just, it just, it's just work. Um, and I really look at, you know, when you have issues like that, it, it's just work and you, you know, I get it. It, it adds to this kind of this burden or toll that really, really, really kind of sticks and on top of each other and stays with you here a little bit. And so I, I've just been thinking about that a lot, especially over this past week of kind of all the, the, the little tolls it takes on you. Yeah, it does. And it, it just, huh, sometimes you just have to give yourself the permission to heal and move forward and just say, okay, you know what? It is still worth doing this. This is really hard. Other people that understand how hard it is, you know, vent to them if you need to, and then just go on. But I, I, I am sorry. I think everybody who has livestock, as my husband likes to say, if you have livestock, you have dead stock. And unfortunately that happens too often. Oh, absolutely. I agree wholeheartedly there. So we'll keep fighting the good fight and, um, you know, tough times don't last, but tough people do. That's yep. That is for sure. Another, another colloquialism there, but um, I guess kind of Laura, any, I, I heard through the grapevine that you uh, had trouble with your milk machine this weekend. Do you want to tell the listeners? Oh my gosh. Well, and you know what? The thing of it is, <laughs> I figured out what the problem was. You know, milking machines make you have some good critical thinking skills, I think. And and once I figured out why I was having problems with that machine, I'm like, oh, I'm so dumb. So I think anybody that has a machine that that uses it in an unheated milking room knows that those um, milking lines, those silicone lines, they're really hard to get t- to put on. You know, they they're they get really cold and they're kind of brittle and they're they're hard to get in there. But I thought maybe that's what the problems with my sh- machine. The motor ran fine. I had suction coming out of the machine, but once I put put it to the bucket assembly, I had no suction. And so um, Friday morning, Elizabeth ended up hand milking every one of the goats because we had no machine. And I'm like, this is crazy. So Friday night I went out and it was warmer. It had gotten into the low 40s on Friday and um, it works just fine. I'm like, okay, whatever the problem was, we're beyond that. It's fine. Saturday morning I went out and it was not working again. And I'm like, okay, I've, I don't have to go to work today. I've got enough time to figure this out. And what I figured out is that after I wash my bucket assembly, I turn it upside down 
um, to drain on the milk stand. And so the milk stand is, you know, that metal grid. So anything that's any moisture still in the bucket drains out. What I didn't realize is that ice formed on that, that metal part where the rubber seal goes, goes there. Can you kind of picture what I'm talking about? Yep. yep. I know you're saying. And so ice built up there in little ice pebbles and it was keeping my bucket lid from sealing. So I didn't have any seal. So once I figured that out, I um, took my hot water that I used to, to uh, clean my machine and um, got a rag wet and wiped all that ice off of it. And it works just fine. So, um, you know, when, when for critical thinking, wish I would have figured that out on Friday, but now I know um, if it's going to be that bitter cold again, I'm just going to bring the bucket assembly in at night. So it doesn't do that. Um, and uh, I think we'll be okay then. So that was Oh, just frustrating. And realized that I didn't do a good job of cleaning out my backup machine last year when I got done. So that was my project today. I had to pull that thing all apart and uh, clean all the milk lines and the inflations in the inside of the bucket because it was kind of scummy that it wasn't cleaned very well. So now I've got the backup working and my regular machine. So we're good to go. So that was fun. I was I was fighting milk machine problems too, also with the cold. And again, it wasn't that I didn't have it set up right. It's just that when we had cleaned the lines out, allegedly I had not drained them. Allegedly, not really that allegedly, it did happen. Um, uh, they had not drained properly. So the little bottom, because I use a very, I don't use the, I use the Molasti system, whatever the the Turkish people created from the Molasti system. Had and it there was ice actually in the little bottoms of the um oh the the claws in the bottoms of the claws oh, yeah uh, yeah so we had to dethaw those and uh, apparently again I had not drained it well apparently and it had frozen in the lines too on that when I had put it up so um, that was two different milkings and and when you're running on a couple hours of sleep uh, your critical thinking skills is uh, null at that point and probably your um your ability to not just want to kick something and um, say some really choice words that your goats are like, what? Oh, I, I did. My goats are yeah. sometimes very familiar with that um, <laughs> because they run around the barn. They choose to run, they choose to run around the barn instead of running right to the milk room. Oh yeah. That's fun. Yeah. That's fun. Well, Hey, you know, on that note, my milking yearling who has now been fresh for three weeks finally gets on the stand. that's what i did too totally clapped for i'm like fangirl i am now a fan of yours you're not dumb girl anymore so this this was a good thing (laughs) yeah i i totally agree yeah it's i've the yearlings actually do a pretty good job it's mostly a couple of the older goats that kind of know if there's no grain up there they're like yeah go pound sand type thing yeah exactly and and really for me Yearlings have always been the smart ones. It's the first freshening two-year-olds that, oh, I want to rip my hair out because they're big enough to be a problem, but they're stupid. I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, but my first freshening two-year-old has been a a dream. So maybe this will be the year to change my mind about them. But I got got one worse than a first freshening two-year-old. This refreshing (laughs) three-year-old. Shoot. So she's had a lot of time to get into bad habits. She I, she has she has lots of bad habits and none of them involve cooperating. Oh shoot, that's bad. Yeah. You've yeah. been registering some kids. Yeah, I have been. Um, so I've got like five. I've been registering kids as um, we sell them, and then I'll order a DNA test on them as well. There, so um, if, if it's a buck, I'll order a DNA on them. Um, all of our bucks this year come basically sire verified. Um, so I've got all I've got. I registered five goats. I've got three of the papers. We have our first DNA test back so far. We're batting a thousand on DNA test, which it was an AI breeding. We, there was only an AI breeding. We knew we knew who it was type thing, but always good to know. And and then that our, our first group of goats actually leaves. Um, it will be Monday before the podcast drops. That is fabulous. And registrations have gone how for you? It's clunky. I'm not going to sugarcoat it to the listeners here. If you want to register goats, it is a clunky process. Um, it's 
you know, I, I the listeners, if you've listened long enough, you know that I work in kind of an IT role a little bit, and um, it's 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 not as easy as just entering the information there. If you don't really do it in one sitting, so like say for example, you go and you've got maybe your your spreadsheet or whatever you use in order to look up tattoos or date of births on a goat right there. If you don't have that printed out right next to you and you switch over to the other tab, I found a lot of my stuff actually gets lost in that process. So, yeah. so like I'll delete it out or something like that. So um, it, it's clunky, but I got it to work. Um, I always, and I don't know if this is the best practice or not, but I'll tell you what I do and it's worked for me every time and I've gotten papers back on three of the goats and I should have the other two relatively soon. Um, uh, I, I register the goat and then I click finish and then I pay for the goat in my cart and then I go to the next goat and I sit and I do all of them. Again, it's a little clunky, but I will tell you that I've registered goats from an AI memo. I've tried to register goats from a service memo or I've no, I have done goats from a service memo and I've done them from regular ones as well. So um, none of them have been stuck in under review land. So that's positive. I think I have heard others say that if you're registering like several goats from a litter to do it the way you just said to do it, don't try to just go ahead and finish it and then do the next one. Don't try to um, do all of them at once. Yeah. No, I, I do that. I just, I, but I always check out in my cart after it and I get it. It's a little time consuming. I have to enter my credit card in for each one or go put the money in my cart to check out after each one or, um, but that's what I found works for me. So, um, if it helps you guys, listeners, I, I hope it does, but there have been some successes, um, in the craziness of NG. Oh yes, for sure. But I do want to, I, you know, it's interesting. I was, I was trying to do, Catherine and I have been talking about keeping a buck. We've got a recorded grade doe who is 93.75% Toggenberg. And so we were trying to figure out how to, how it would all work with it, with the genetics. Um, and you know, per the guidebook, could we get these goats and could we keep a buck out of this goat and breathe into the Americans, um, in the herd? And then they would go up to all the off, would the, all the offspring reborn American tiger. So we've been trying to figure that out. Um, NG has effectively not let me after I've kind of tried to manipulate the data in the system, register my experimental buck. Because uh, even though the goat is 93.75%, the dam is 93.75% Toggenberg, because the great grand dam does not conform to breed standard, it cannot be registered as an American Toggenberg. So because of that, it has to still be registered as an experimental, but then I could use that on all of my Americans and get um, American Toggenbergs. But because of the complexities of, of that, on top of the complexities with NG and us having to worry about not actually being able to register goats correctly out of this buck, and that's a that's an unknown as well, I'm not sure we even want to keep a goat from this buck. Does that make sense, Laura? Oh, it totally makes sense. I mean, it's – gosh, I think that is a great example, Cameron, of why – Adga's uh, registration in NG is so complex because there are so many factors and so many different rules and so many things that, that go into it. You know, it's not like, it's not like the American Kennel Club that either you're purebred or you're not registered. We have so many nuances and different scenarios that can work out that just really add several layers of much more complexity to our registration system. Correct. And yeah, it, it just, I mean, it goes to show how truly complicated it all is. And I get it. I mean, what we're trying to do is different and not a lot of people do that, but I mean, I, we, we would still like to have it as an option. Does that make sense, Laura? Very much so. Yeah. And, and as a breeder, it's nice to say, well, that's my prerogative of using those genetics. Um, I'm still, at this percentage of uh, purebredism, for lack of a better word, I guess. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. 
So, like, we just, I don't know. It, it's frustrating to me, but it's almost, I don't want to say it's like a champagne problem because it's like, oh, we want to do something different, which we do, but it's also like a not, you know, maybe one, less than 1% of the general ADGA force, ADGA membership thinks like this. Right. So it's, I mean, I, I hope it's something that, that if can be solved, is able to be solved. But But I think you're right. You know, you're recognizing the fact that, that, in the big scheme of things, that's kind of a small problem to have, but it's still, it's still a problem. I don't want to minimize it. So. Yeah. 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 So, um, I, I kind of the last thing kind of going on and, and it won't affect this podcast, but it'll, it might, it might actually help this podcast actually is some big changes coming down the road, um, regarding, you know, my life and my, my wife's life too. So, um, we're, we're excited for those. Um, and for those that are thinking well, we're going to have two legged kids, they're, they're wrong. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, only four legged ones at the current time, but there's some big changes coming out of the pipeline, which I think is only going to help this show. Well, good. That's exciting. Laura and Laura, you know what they are. So I do, I do, but we'll, we'll, we'll wait until the right time. And then you're, then our listeners can know too. Absolutely. So. Laura, what else? Anything else? No, 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 no. That's about it. Moving on, there's been quite a quite a bit of stuff going on with Adga lately. Yeah, it has. I want to let you talk about this because I I, I don't know. I, I might be in in contention with the rest of the Facebook world, and these these conversations don't make me too too happy of the board of the directors. Well, I you know I'm just I'm just gonna put the cards on the table here, I, and I'm not gonna go into either of the postal ballots in a lot of depth, because I feel like that, that, you know, there's lots of things that have been hashed out over Facebook. Um, and that's kind of an ugly place to be right now, but you know, I, I don't think it's a surprise to anybody who's active with the American Dairy Good Association to know that we really are in a bad spot right now. And we've been in a bad spot and we are trying so hard to get out of this. Um, Rome wasn't built in a day. Adga's problems didn't happen just in a year and it's going to take some time and frankly, some pretty severe belt tightening to get out of it. Um, a postal ballot went through that had six elements in it lately. And again, you can read that online on the Adga website, or again, it's been rehashed on social media a lot. Um, I'd like to talk about um, some of those elements. And one of them has to do with um, the price of um, show rosettes for shows um, that that is going up again. And I know it wasn't that long ago that it went up, but you know, if you've been to a grocery store in the past six months, anybody has seen that prices have been crazy and continue to go crazy and continue to increase. And um, you know, when Agda sends out those rosettes, unless you're um, putting your show together um, in less than, than um, I think it's 30 days, but really close to the time of your show, you don't pay uh, shipping on those rosettes. And if you've gotten the boxes of rosettes from Agda, they're big boxes. So, you know, shipping has got to be pretty expensive on that. We have to have a profit margin on those rosettes. So it's not that Agda is trying to take anybody to the cleaners. We're just trying to make sure that it doesn't cost us to provide rosettes and, and different things have been looked at. And there may be some things down the road that, that will give shows or fairs um, different options. Maybe there could be an option that you don't have Adga rosettes that you offer at a show. I think that could be sad in some ways. And other people are like, you know what? I have so many rosettes at home. I really don't need them. Um, so if that's a cost that could be put to the wayside, then I think that is fine. But uh, we need to think outside the box right now. We need to make sure that providing, providing rosettes to shows don't cost the American Dairy Good Association. Um, another thing that was a very difficult thing to vote on was um, it concerned our ADGA directory and our ADGA guidebook. Um, and folks, the fact of the matter is, if it's going to cost us thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to put together a directory that members aren't going to get probably until July or August because the printers can't get them done before then, we're almost into another year by that time. 
Um, you know, I, I think we have to look at using our online options as much as we possibly can for the directory. Now, I personally feel like that every member should have a copy of the guidebook. So, um, you know, I hope down the road that we're able to come up with a way to provide guidebooks for our members, because frankly, if you don't have a guidebook, it's really hard to know how to operate with ADGA. Do you, do you, what do you think about that, Cameron? I will tell the listeners that I'm different and I I know I'm different. I'm weird, but I actually have a digital copy on my laptop and I download it every year. I take that to, um, uh, goat shows. Like I take my laptop to goat shows. I used it. I whipped it out here today. Like I, I do everything digitally. I download the copy and I, I will tell you that I can find something so much faster on a digital copy versus a, a physical copy because I can just PDF control F search there. But I will also tell you that when I'm studying for my ad judges licensing test, I like the physical copy. Yeah. And I think that most people or many people have access to a way to get that printed if they want. I keep my guidebook on my phone. So I, you know, I, I use that all the time, but I'm also not a judge and I'm not studying for it. And I, you know, don't need to have a, a hard copy. So I, I hope that there's a way that if members have to have a hard copy that we're able to provide that to them, but also that we funnel members towards using electronic copies whenever possible. Um, one other part of the postal ballot that I'd like to talk about has to do with scholarships. And that was a really difficult section of the postal ballot as well. Um, I don't know how many people realized that the scholarships didn't come from a separate fund. They came out of the ADGA general fund. And that's, that's a good chunk of money there too. So what I think needs to happen and other directors are trying to work on to make this happen is that money for scholarships comes from um, endowments, comes from clubs donating, um, comes from people who, uh, want to have a memorial in, in, you know, in memory of somebody who maybe was active with dairy goats. Uh, the Chris Strickland fund is, is one exa- example of that, but there are ways that we can still continue to support our youth, which are so vitally important to AGA. Um, but the fact of the matter is right now, we just don't have that money. We, we need to continue tightening our, our belts and figuring out how we can get NG or whatever program we're going to end up using to a good working program. So, um, you know, if you have questions or other thoughts on this, please reach out to your directors. Facebook is not the vet, the best way to cuss and discuss about things. Talk to your director, tell them what you need, tell them what's important to you. Um, on a positive note, we have, um, a new office manager. Her name is Sherry Hill and Um, the interactions that I've had with Sherry so far have been great. And um, I think there's going to be an announcement very soon about a new association manager that's also been hired. So um, the beans haven't been spilled on that yet, but I think that's forthcoming. So good. Anything I missed, Karen? No, I'm going to leave my opinions to myself uh, (laughs) because uh, you won't like them. And I've told other directors that I'm close to about my opinions. However, I will keep them to myself because I've already shared with my local director. So. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Uh, the topic today is Laura. We have no topic. (laughs) Yeah. Well, sometimes it just happens like that. And, um, I guess I'd like to look at it that these are like topic ideas that we've tossed around, but we never really felt like that there was enough of it to make a whole episode would you agree with that um yeah so i I think we've done a couple of these where at least call it potpourri um or you know the stuff you put by the toilet that makes it smell good is that potpourri right or poopery but this is this is not a smelly situation so this is okay okay good so um kind of whatever we we think um is important and it's for us it's a it's a good just conversation for us to have and Maybe some some things to kind of chew on and think about there. So, I'll Laura, I'm gonna go ahead and start, and I want to talk a little bit because we each, we I think we each brought about three topics to the table, 
Um, I want to talk a little bit about your spring show planning to start. As you, ah. as you're thinking about it, what is your plan this year? And I know you're active in one of your local goat clubs as well. There, what is your plan from a show herd perspective? And then putting your club hat on, are you looking at differences or price increases because of the the economic conditions that are that are happening right now? Well, okay. So my own personal show plans, um, actually the girls and I just sat down um, this morning and we were talking about both of those aspects of this topic. Um, you know, showing at the national show is not in the books for me this year because that's just, that's more of a trip than I have the um, finances for. And frankly, I just don't want to drive goats all that distance. That's just, that's too far for me at this point in the game. So um, I will be out there. I'll be out there with uh, my daughter, Caroline, but um, that frees us up a little bit to maybe look at going to some shows that we haven't been able to go to in the past, maybe spreading our wings a little bit um, into States that are, that are not terribly far away, but shows that we've always wanted to do and, and just haven't for a while. So that's kind of what we're thinking. Gas prices and feed prices, of course, are probably going to have an impact on that, which is unfortunate. So for us, we're going to be looking at those shows that give us more bang for our buck. Um, the multiple ring shows that have judges that we really enjoy um, that, that make it worthwhile driving a little bit more of a distance because we can show under more judges. So um, how is your thinking on that, Cameron? So for us, um, we, I'll go tell you, we, I think I made our plans for this year in October. And I, I always do that earlier for a couple of reasons. One, it's because I'm a judge as well. And I do like to judge goats and judging goats generally does not cost me as much money to, to, to do then um, as prepared, instead of going to a goat show where it costs me a lot more. So I like to lay my groundwork ahead of time so I can be respectful to those shows when I have to decline them and I have a good reason to decline them. So uh, I made a rough plan in October. Um, we're looking at probably more payback shows than anything, um, mostly because, again, it, it does kind of help even the playing field out there. So looking at four payback shows um, to help us recoup some of those costs of going to a goat show, number one. And, and number two, um, you know, with new life changes that are coming down the pipeline, we might have less opportunities to show goats as well. Um, so really making sure that shows count. So looking also at bigger ring shows or shows that are relatively close to home or looking at goat shows as well that are, might be part of the extremes, kind of the early shows in May or the late shows in September. Well, and speaking of that, I know that for Missouri, um, my linear appraisal time is not until September. So that's something too, that we're looking at. Um, you know, if we're going to keep goats into milk, into, you know, and, and top condition milk into September because of linear appraisal, those late shows might be a, a lot more fun to go to. Yeah. Well, my linear appraisal is June, June 1st to the 15th. So the early of June. So uh, kind of a, a peak time. I will agree to that. Um, I know I will have at least one goat that probably will be scored out of condition um, because she set the kid June 1st. So oh. <laughs> um, but, but I, you know, that's also the thing as well is I will not go to a goat show if I have linear appraisal because especially the, the shows that fall in that time frame for me that I would look at going at, and I've kind of already analyzed it. It's like some of those shows, I don't necessarily like the judges or I'm not, you know, crazy about, you know, the logistics of it all or something like that. So, yeah. Yeah. I think those things all factor into it. Um, you know, the the other part of that question that you had, Cameron, was talking about our spring show. It's over Memorial Day weekend. And um, that around here generated the most excitement because I, I think this is my second year as a show chair. So um, the girls are like, OK, mom, you know, we'll volunteer to do this. And one daughter made a spreadsheet so that we can put all the people who are going to volunteer to to be ring stewards because that's always you know, a challenge to, to get that set up ahead of time. And, um, you know, that, that's exciting. Um, 
we did have to raise our prices just a little bit this year um, to, for, for um, entry fees. But I think, again, prices are up everywhere. We hate that. They're not crazy high, but I, I think that's just part of living. And I'll be interested to see on other shows that come through if prices are raising on their shows as well. Yeah, I think that's kind of a, an elephant in the room there. But I, I also think it, it's hard to me, and this is this is the reason why, is a lot of these shows, they don't just rely on entry fees to recoup it. They rely on also pen fees as well. However, when you raise and increase entry fees, your amount of pens that you may use may go down as well there because people are entering less goats. Does that make sense, Laura? Very much so, yes. So. And- and that, that affects your bottom line as well. Um, it does. It, it yeah. really does. And additionally on that as well, and it's something that I've really thought about as well, there's have been involved in numerous goat organizations, ADGA included, is you are, as a dairy goat club, you are really taxing the members sometimes when you increase raising fees in order to recoup that money. But then you also ask them for other things. Maybe you ask them to donate for a raffle. Maybe you ask them for sponsorship. Maybe you're asking them to donate a goat or a milk stand or something there. And all of this is coming at the expense of the member of that club as well there. So really, some of these things look like a real drain on your resources, on your people capital. And it also, in my mind, in the long run, encourages those members to say, hey, I feel burnt out or used by this organization because you're asking me for goats every year. You're asking me for you know raffle tickets every year, uh, raffle items every year. And now you're also asking me to pay a larger entry fee as well. So you know, to me, some of these goat clubs, there's a lot of burnout on them. There is. And I think too, you know, it's easy to go crazy thinking of all the extra things that you can add to a show like a fancy backdrop for people to take pictures in front of or um, a catered dinner or um, uh, you know, a fancy exhibitor gift bags or that. I mean, there's all kinds of things like that that are cool. I mean, those, those are cool. Does that really matter to your exhibitors? And I think, I think that's one thing that, that we all, whether it's ADGA, whether it's, um, you know, your local club, when you sit back and look at your budget and you look at the money that you have in your club account, for example, and you look at the cost of a show, are your exhibitors going to be happy when they know that their money got spent to buy um, fancy gifts for the judges? You know, yeah. those, are, are those even needed? You know, and, and I think that's something, Cameron, that you probably have, um, an opinion on as a judge, you know, does that make a difference? Does that make a difference on whether or not you would a judge at that show again down the road? Um, if they did or didn't get you a, a judge's gift? No, that, that really doesn't matter to me on that. They're nice. I do like them, but I, I don't really care. So Laura, now kind of moving on beyond the, the spring show planning, let's talk about the extra buck kid debate and not necessarily which ones you want to sell as breeding stock versus which ones you want to send to a pet home or the pepperoni man. But how long do you keep those dang suckers? I I feel like it's a debate in my house. What about yours? Oh, kind of a debate here. And actually, um, I had, I had four bucks, four buck kids on the ground and was going to get them out at that magical two week point. That's what I kind of like to see them go. You know, they've gotten started well on feedings and usually have them disbutted that time. And, um, and then I realized that the people that were going to take these and they just wanted them for pets. They've had pet ones from me before, but I realized they didn't have, they just had an outside pen for them and it was supposed to get down to 15 degrees. And I knew that they couldn't survive that. It was just too cold. So we still have them. I think they'll leave this weekend at a month of age. So, um, you know, does that make me happy? Not terribly but i think part of my answer to your question is at a time that's good for those kids you know you don't want to you don't want to kick them out too early and not have a good quality of life for them so i think that's part of part of the answer to your question if that makes sense yeah yeah absolutely it makes perfect what do you, how long do you guys hang on to them 
Well, uh, depends on it. You know, I was having this conversation with my dad last night, actually, and he had some buck kids born that he was not going to be using his breeding or selling his breeding stock um, this weekend. And he was making his his first uh, his run to the Arthur Sale Barn, which is an Amish community sale barn where we take all of our um, extra extra buck kids. And he uh, he was like, I, I just can't take them this little. Like they're just like two days old. It just hurts my heart a little bit in order to kind of move them along. Um, whereas I will, I, you know, if I had an ideal amount, I'd like to have that first colostrum in, a, colostrum in them, get them really good going. And then I'd like to move them on my way within the first 48 hours, to be honest with you, Laura. Uh, but I'll tell you that that doesn't always work. Well, and, and I agree. And I think it'd be great to be able to get them out within those first few days and, and not worry about vaccines or disbudding or anything like that. But um, I'm kind of like your dad. I've, I, and I think I'm getting worse as I get older, but I'm just a real softy when it ta- when it comes to taking goats to the sale barn. And I don't like the way that, you know, they're, they're kind of harsh with them and they just kick them down the aisle. And I just, that just bothers me. These are little baby goats that have been hand raised and gravitate towards people. You know, if they just walk down the aisle, they'd follow them wherever they wanted them to go. But no, instead they have to like, go on, get along, you know, kick them down the aisle. And I don't like that. I I'm with your dad. I don't like to, don't like to get them out where I know that they're not really going to be treated with kindness. So I know they're just livestock. I know I'm a softie, but. I, you know, it's interesting because I always am like, and my wife, so this was kind of the debate I was having and my good friend, Dustin Noble, friend of the podcast was kind of talking with me too. And the question is, is I took some, I took two. I, I just wanted to get rid of them mostly because they were really annoying buck kids. Like they were pushing the other ones in the feeder. They were just kind of dumb and you you know what I'm saying, Laura? Oh yes. And actually I'm going to stop you for a second on a tangent. Yeah. Do you notice that there are sometimes that kids out of certain bucks are just more annoying or more noisy than kids out of other bucks? Have you noticed that over your years? Yeah, absolutely. And and I can tell like this Toggenberg buck we have fusion. I love him to death, but he does this thing weirdly with his his kids that, they all come with like droopy ears and they look really sad. Oh gosh. They come up later, right? Yeah, they do. They do. But I, I put a video one day and I'm sure you saw this on Facebook. If you're friends with me, and I was just kind of like move bobbing him up and down and his ears were, were flapping. And, <laughs> he kind of looked like a little Dumbo. <laughs> yes. He, he did look like a little Dumbo. And now, now that little Dumbo's on his way to Florida. So Oh, well, very nice. Well, anyway, sorry, I kind of interrupted you there, but we had just realized that we had two kids born out of a a new buck that we've never had kids out of, Uh and they are the mouthiest, noisiest things in the world. They're really loud, and their dad is loud, so I guess it's a genetic thing. Yeah, so I'm going to come back to that question. I want to revisit that, but um, something that I triggered my mind, but... Back to this buck kid thing, it's like if I can take a buck kid at a week old and I can get $10 for it and I don't have to worry about disbutting it, vaccinations, keeping it alive because we all know goats like to die. And, um, uh, or can I raise it to market price where I can get, I don't know, 75, 80, 100 bucks? Is that, is that worth my time or my energy? Or in this case, for my wife's debate here, is it worth keeping them around until weaning time so we can sell them to a, we'll call it a pet home for for that matter. Right. A pet home or a meat home or whatever you want to look at it. But um, that is a question that we have too. I have friends who have been very successful in hanging on to weathers until they're like, like, you know, 75 to 110 pounds and they get great prices for them at the meat market. And they've raised them for that. But in her case, she's got pasture land and she's got, you know, plenty of room to do it. I just don't have the room or the desire. So I think that's part of the equation too. You know, what resources is it going to take to grow this animal up to that kind of an age? And do you want, do you want to put that in there? You know, I want to kind of ask you, I mean, 
Do you have a number or an ideal amount in which your sanity just goes out the window of baby goats and you're like, I got to start moving goats? Um, when we have more kids than I have nipples on lamb bars, that's what I'm like. Uh, this is this is insane. And I'm afraid that we're going to get to that point in the next couple of weeks just because this is the first year in many years that we haven't had like a big kidding palooza in, in a week. Mm-hmm. They're all staggered. And so I just realized we have 12 right now on the land bar. I have another doe due anytime. And then I have three more to kid this weekend. Kid feeding is suddenly going to get really, really intense for us. And, you know, my apologies to our friends that listen that have great big dairies and hundreds of kids. And they're like, you don't know what you're talking about. But, you know, for me, it's it's going to take time to get these kids fed in the morning because it takes a little bit to get them used to the lamb bar and, and all that. And I know if we pan fed, it'd be a different story. But we're I think we're very quickly going to get to that number. I don't know what that number is, but I'll make sure that our readers know or our listeners know when I hit that number because I think it'll come. <laughs> what is well, your number, Cameron? Oh, that's a great question. Um. For for my dad and I, it was always like late March. It was never a number. It was a spring break for him, if that makes sense. Oh, that sure. Was, that was like his like because he would be like, okay, spring break's here. Like I can I can take a day and I can go to the the auction and because the auction always sells on Monday and you could drop him off there at the auction starting at six a.m. Um, and, and drop him off there and he could go drop him off in there. So it's kind of this late March, middle March is kind of when we start to throw our hands up in the air and say, what the heck? Um, I will, I was with my dad and I will tell you that it's a little different on this, this year for him because of some of the um, bad things he's had happen on his farm. Let's just say that. Um, but uh, it's, it's a little different this year on his farm for us. I am almost at the point where I am like, okay, like I, I need to start getting goats out of here. Thankfully, three left today. Three more are going to leave next or on Friday, so that's six gone there. And then we only have eight more left to freshen, um, but we have to figure out how to get some move some buck kids in and out there. And we'll probably go to the local auction. I mean, um, we have we got our scrapey tag stuff all figured out there on that, so we'll they'll probably go to the local auction. Oh, very good. That's well, and that's every auction is different, and I'm sure that that if I was a little more assertive and said, Hey, these are bottle babies. So, you know, all you have to do is just like walk in front of them and they'll run around your feet and be happy. You know, it would probably be a different story here. We may have to end up using the auction, but knock on wood over the past several years, we've gotten a good group of people that like to get kids every year and just raise for their grandchildren or whatever. And, and that's, that's been kind of a happy thing for us. So. I need some of those. Of course, every commercial dairy in Wisconsin needs some of those too. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I will tell the listeners here that I, when I dropped them to, cause I was, I met a friend at a commercial dairy and I met the, um, the, the butt kid buyer that Randy talks about. Um, not the taco man. I was just the taco man. I did not meet the taco man. He, and I, if I met him though, I would ask if he lived on Drury lane. Uh, no, that's the muffin man. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> um, but I, I met their butt kid buyer. They had a hundred and seventy plus goats in their with them that they had picked up that week. Wow, wow, that's quite a buyer. Yeah, it it really is. It really is. But you know what? They pay cash and they don't ask a lot of questions. So. <laughs> That's all right. That yeah. works. Yeah. So that's kind of my thought on the butt kid debate. And, you know, do you do you spend the extra time and extra money? And I always say no because, in my mind, time is the most precious thing in the world. It is. Very that's true. Right. I agree. So that's that's that. Um, let's talk something else on that, though. Okay. Um, how long do you keep a milker around? Like, you know, I think all of us – and we've we've talked with our friend of the podcast, Kurt Schnipke, about culling till it hurts, culling till you get tears. 
Well, so how long do you keep those goats that you know are probably on the bubble and you need to make a decision or, you know, maybe you've reached that magic number in your mind where you're like, okay, I've got to get down to such and such number of milking does. How long do you give them to, to make that decision? So, um, not friend of the program, but friend of ours, Joseph Larson has told me that he gives them 30 days. So I'm trying out the 30 day approach. Um, we kitted out our first goats on March or excuse me, or we kitted out our second group, our first group on February 10th area time. So their, their time of 30 days has been here and all four of them have passed the 30 day mark. Um, there is another group that kitted out on February 24th and 23rd. So that date is coming up uh, slowly and we will get some goats out of there. So I am sticking to the hard fact of 30 days because I told, first off, I told my wife that, so I want to keep that commitment to her. And, and two, um, I I think 30 days is a good to just kind of see how the udder develops and, and freshen them out there. You know what I'm saying there? Absolutely. And that's, I was talking with another friend of mine today about, oh, um, she has a really pretty doe that kind of her front end went a little bit wonky, a little loose at that point of shoulder, point of elbow, um, not a lot of brisket and just um, walks funny and didn't walk that way before she was heavily pregnant. And I said, you know, I think you need to give her some time after she freshens because I would imagine that relaxin is probably working on those ligaments and contributing to her funky front end problem since it hasn't been a problem before. So I think, again, you know, understanding physiology and hormonal influence during pregnancy, you got to give them some time to pull themselves back together afterwards. Yeah, I agree. I think 30 days is kind of that balancing act there, especially for those first fresheners. Like I generally know like there's a battle. I call I call it a battle. It is really a battle of four-year-olds right now kind of in my herd. I really, really only want two Toggenberg four-year-olds, um, but there's three right now, and it's kind of like the one is at day 40, 40-ish. The other one's at day, you know, maybe four. So it's it's chess and checkers right now, but give it another two weeks, and um, we, they might be they might be playing Chinese checkers together. It's, it's hard to let them go though. And, and like, I've got six two-year-olds that I'm freshening this year. Three of those six are second fresheners and three are first fresheners. And I know that I need to get down to two to three two-year-olds at the end. So I know that I'm going to have some milking does for sale. And that's always a hard thing because, you know, you get attached to it after a while. But then again, your sanity does have to play play into your decisions there too. So oh, I think three days is a, a good to, a good thing. Yes. Pre- preach it. Preach it on the sanity side of the thing there because, because my sanity over the last couple of days, and Laura, you know this more than anyone, uh, pr- probably know it just about as much as anyone, especially my wife or maybe more than my wife actually. But um, I, I, I think is, but one thing my wife always saying is this joke's going to be worth the wait. This goat's going to be worth the wait. But at what? how do you balance this goat's going to be worth the wait versus I want to be competitive now? Exactly. And in our in our family, it's the phrase is not worth the wait. The phrase is, oh, but the potential is there. There's the potential. She has potential. Um, She's not always right. Oh, yeah. Well, hi, Elizabeth. <laughs> I'm not always right. No, of course I'm not. You know, if I were, then I could retire from my day job and, and be the goat whisperer, but I'm not. You know, I think I think understanding that you're not always going to be right, you're not always going to call it, is just part of the part of it. But, um, yeah, I, w- I want to be competitive now. And when I look out in that barn and see this, this beautiful two-year-old that is just gorgeous – has beautiful confirmation and a very beautiful udder, but the udder's not big enough to be competitive yet. It makes me angry. I see this, this goat is taking barn space that could be used for something else. And, you know, do I really want to wait on it or not? Because there's no guarantee that it's going to be worth it. Okay. Since Elizabeth has jumped in, Elizabeth, would you keep that goat? The, the, the nice confirmation two-year-old with the small udder? Yeah. What about her? No, no, no. Would Elizabeth keep it? Oh, what he said? Would you keep it, Ardo? 
a nice two-year-old with beautiful confirmation and a small udder. And Elizabeth knows who I'm talking about. <laughs> that turned out right. I said keeper. She said keeper. And as a three-year-old, she finally had more than a single kid. And she's looking pretty darn nice. So I'd say in this case, she was right. Hmm. I, you know, time will tell. We'll see. But it is hard. It is hard when you see that animal who's a barn bum. T is one of your best phrases, Cameron, because she's not competitive this competitive yet. And uh, she's taking that barn bum position. It's hard to justify keeping barn bums. It really, I, it really I, is. That I respect about like what Matt, my sister Madeline's rule. She doesn't like when a doe doesn't show their full potential by the time they're five. And I think it just kind of, it's based on what your values or, you know, what, what you see in your herd. If you're okay with having, you know, older mature does and spending, you know, that time and money into them, if you really think they have that potential. But with us, it's, if they're not really showing their full potential or quite a bit of potential by the time they're five, it's really hard to justify keeping them. Five years old, Elizabeth, that's old. It is. That's what I think, too. I mean. That's what I think, and I I think it's too old. That's just my thought. Oh, I, I think it's I totally too long to wait. Eat. I totally agree with that. My wife, though, yells at me. Not Well, she yells at me a lot for the, the listeners to know that. I want, I want to publicly explain that. Um, but. Um, my wife yells at me because she thinks all of my goats, and, and it's true. I've kind of crunched the numbers. Peak when they're three or two, or you know, we, we've been known for really competitive three-year-olds before in the past, or two-year-olds in the past. You know, we've had, I think about you know our two La Mancha national champions. We've had they were both three-year-olds. You know, our our sable national one of our sable national champions we had was a two-year-old. So like, okay, some of our goats do peak really early. Um, it doesn't mean it's right, wrong, or something in between, but some of them have peaked early. But I also, on the flip side, had a nine-year-old that was reserve national champion alpine, a seven-year-old that was reserve national champion alpine. You know, it's it's you know, age age can do well in the show ring. There's something to be said about when an animal peaks, and then there's something to be said about an animal that can maintain that top condition, that top look. For more than one year, you know, and I, and I think you just have to know your lines too. Um, obviously, everybody would like to have animals that could could be competitive early, but are still competitive as nine and ten year olds too. I mean, that's like amazing if you can do that. But boy, are those animals unicorns! It's hard to find them. Yeah, they they really are there. Um, but speaking of unicorns, and on this unicorn number here, Laura, let's talk about the perfect number. What is the perfect number of goats? Is oh gosh, goats! The perfect number. Five milkers. Okay. Well, Elizabeth just said five milkers. I would argue with that, and I'll tell you what I think my perfect number is. I think my my perfect number would be ten milking does. Okay. And five juniors. Okay. And, and, and I'll tell you why that is. Um, for every show except for a national show, that gives you two, approximately two milking does for each age. Okay. And I would have to take a leaf out of my friend Paul Fox's um, way that he does things where he says that you know, he's more apt to sell a finished dough so that he has room for younger does who are coming up. So I'd have, I'd have to make that as part of my program too. But I really would always like to be able to take two milking does in each class to a show and then also have some juniors to support that. That to me is just my ideal. Have I ever gotten to that? Nope. It's, it's hard to get to something like that, but that's, that's it for me. What is your ideal number, Cameron? Well, I was about to crunch the numbers here, and I haven't done this yet. But currently, I'm going to do some math here. Uh, I have a three-pound feed scoop, and I have a fifty-pound bag of feed that I use. So, fifty divided by three—that's sixteen. Sixteen scoops in a bag of feed. 
times two, because each goat gets, that's 33, let's just say it's 34, 34 goats, 34 feedings of a goat on a stand per bag. Okay, why am I saying this as well here? I milk goats, each bag of that cost me 1630. So 34 milkings per goat, each individual goat costs 1630 in, in costs. What I'm saying here is that it is significantly cheaper to feed a kid versus feeding a milker. And that's something that I've really reflected about. And I've thought as, you know, as I've gotten older, I'm like, okay, like it is so much, so, so much more cost effective to have more kids than it is to have more, more milkers. Does that make sense, Laura? Um, when you break it down that way, it does. However, uh, I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit here. Okay. If you have a herd that is more mature and that has proven does in it, your return on investment, I think is going to be higher because you can command higher prices for kids that you sell out of mature does that are finished or have good show records or linear appraisal or milk records behind them than you can selling does out of first fresheners. But I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate for you again here. Okay. This is great. This is, we're going down this rabbit hole and I love it here is how many times do you, and I'm going to ask you, do you sell a doe kid out of a doe that is an SGCH 2,400 pound milker and, you know, has a daughter in your herd that you are enamored with? Uh, not terribly often. Okay. But I could. Yeah. I had to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see your point. I get your point. And this is the one I'm going to keep. Right. Yeah, I, I had this conversation in college with a lot of friends, and it's very different than some of the livestock world. Is like other livestock, it's like, Okay, they sell the absolute best. They sell the really good stuff out there. And granted, these people generally aren't showing their they're raising livestock to be sold and, and shown by other people there on that. However, my buddy would always tell me, sell the best, keep the rest. And I was like, nah, that never made sense. That never makes sense. Well, it does for some people who can who can essentially go out and market for them because they go out and they show the heck out of them through a, a, a steer or a heifer program there and they get them back at some point or they're put into a breeding pen or something there. However, in goats, it doesn't work out like that because we in the industry like to keep goats out of our best goats instead of selling them to other people. And even when they're sold to other people, sometimes that management program is not necessarily as high and that goat doesn't reach that full potential. Right. And then we're always like, oh, man, if only I'd kept that goat. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So that's my food. That's my kind of my food for thought there on that. But kind of going back to the perfect number. Sorry, we we divulged. We divulged. Um, But going back to the perfect number, my perfect number is currently have three milk stands right now. So it's got to be divisible by three, um, either 12 or 15 milkers. I don't like dry yearlings, but I'll keep one or two. And then uh, six, six to eight kids. Are we weird that we don't like dry yearlings going eight. down that rabbit hole just a little ways? Because I don't like dry yearlings either. And I have more of them this year than I've ever wanted to have. I don't I, like yeah, yeah, I don't like them. Yeah. Okay. And I think my problem is I'm jaded by dry yearlings because I um, – I've judged so many fat dry yearlings in my days that I just, I I just am like, I don't, I don't want to be that guy with a fat dry yearling. Like I don't like as a judge, I I put fat dry yearlings down most of the time. Most of the time I won't say all because I have put up fat dry yearlings before. Um, But I, I tend to look down upon them because they're fat. So it's like, I don't want to do that. But I also kind of know that some of my lines have to be dry yearlings as well there, even if they do get fat. Um, but, yeah, it's just I, – I don't. I just don't like dry yearlings because I don't like feeding them. It's all about cost for me. Yeah, okay. Well, and, and I'm the same way. And I always figured it just came from you know, being a Nubian breeder and always thinking uh, – if I keep them as a dry yearling, that's a whole other year that I have to wait to see if they're going to turn out. And since they're Nubians, it's – that's more questionable than 
I'd like to say it was. So I'm going to leave my comments to the Nubian breeders themselves, but I'm sure they have all, we've all heard the joke. Well, love my Nubian breeder friends, but in my, in my um, experience, it didn't work well to do dry yearlings. So. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree there. Well, I think that, I think that we've talked hit on some things that are some uh, good things to kind of make you go hmm and ponder um, food for thought. Sometimes I'd like us to pick up on something that was discussed on one of my other favorite podcasts beyond the ring talking about extremes versus balances. But I think that's something for another topic. Yes. Another yes, week. So Cameron, if people would like to leave us some feedback or maybe want to give us some ideas of things they'd like us to hit on, maybe in another rapid fire or potpourri episode, how can they do that? Uh, yeah. So you can reach out to us. We're on Facebook. Uh, you can find us on our website too. Uh, Weebly.gogabpodcast.com. Um, we also, um, you can, you know, find pretty much Laura and myself on the internet as well, but you can find us on Facebook as well, the goat or goat gab, um, and listen to us wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Google podcasts, um, you know, anywhere where you get your podcasts, you can find us. Absolutely. And, uh, we certainly thank each one of you for being a listener and, um, hope that you do give us feedback because that's, that's how we get better. Good feedback and bad feedback. We're glad to have it all. So, um, and, and I will tell you that a listener did reach out for feedback, and me and Mr. Jason had a wonderful conversation. So thank you, Jason, for reaching out and giving us that feedback. Yeah, we like that. So we hope all of you are having a great kidding season, if that's what you're in the middle of right now. And, um, again, thank you for making Goat Gab part of your week, and we will catch you next week on our next episode.